0: I work when I sleep. Like you quit your job and then you start working on the brand. How do you stay positive while dealing with so much? Like there's nobody emailing you. Wow, that's some amazing advice right there. I love your perspective on that. Time to get loud. Welcome back to Loud Talk with Lavi, a podcast where we break down the walls of beauty standards one flaw at a time. And today I have such an amazing guest that I'm so excited to talk to Priscilla Sai. Thank you so much for joining me on Loud Talk with Lavi.
1: Oh my God, thank you for having me.
0: It is so great to speak with you and kind of get to know you. I'm really excited for that. Um, right off the bat, just if you can tell like me and the audience a little bit about yourself, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah, sure, of course. Um, well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um, so I'm Priscilla, the founder and CEO of Cocoa Kind. I have been, um, you know, really building Cocoa Kind for the past eight to nine years. Wow. Um, so it's it's really been an amazing um, long journey so far, and we're still going. Um, but a little bit about me. So I um, I grew up in Michigan. So born and raised in Michigan, and uh, grew up with two. Um, Taiwanese immigrant um, mom and dad and my parents came here to pursue their their master's and PhD they met here and they ended up in Michigan and I was born there um, and really loved it there I was like such a Midwesterner at heart even though people think I'm such a East I like give off East Coast vibes <laughs> but I went to school in Philly and New York okay um, or Philly. And then I moved to New York for four years after school. Since then, though, I've been in San Francisco building cocoa Klein. So, um, and I have, um, I have an amazing husband here and two little boys. I have a almost three-year-old and a one-year-old. And so basically between work and then, you know, family life and everything, like that's pretty much like my entire life right now. Um, (laughs) And um and, and really, really fortunate to have like a lot of amazing support systems in both worlds. So um, but yeah, really happy to be here today.
0: That's amazing. Well, I'm definitely excited to get into all of that and um you know go into to more detail and everything. So first off, um you said you meant you mentioned going to school on the East Coast. What did you do um in, in school?
1: So I majored in finance and accounting. Um oh. and I went to an undergrad. Graduate business school, and um, you know, kind of my the the long story is that my mom is a small business entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and she and I grew up going to her office. I grew up stuffing flyers and kind of like stapling her catalogs and stuff like that. And so I, you know, very much was exposed to this idea of business from like a really really young age, like right. you know, four years old. Um, and so for. You know my whole growing up I always said that I wanted to have be like have a business. And so I decided to go to business school and undergrad business school. And um but I didn't really realize that going to um business school means, you know, it's not really business, it's like a lot of finance. So yeah. a lot of ending up in like investment banking and you know um and, and sales and trading. And so I kind of just like I was so young and I just did that and all of a sudden I like before you even look up I just found myself like recruiting for banking jobs and stuff like that um, when I was in college and Mm so I actually ended up um, working in finance for the first four years of my career Um, and the most recently before I started Cocoa Pine I was at J.P. Morgan and I was covering I was an equity research analyst and um, equity research analysts are people who basically like analyze a stock of various companies and different sectors that you focus on. And, you know, you help provide some research and some guidance on, you know, what basically you think the stock will do to investors. And so that's basically what I did. And it's a really cool job actually for, uh, especially for recent graduates, because I got to like meet with CEOs of companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like the tiny analyst in the corner of the room taking notes, like definitely not talking, but I was in the room right. <laughs> um, <laughs> listening to like really amazing CEOs of these public companies talk about their businesses, and and I actually in when I covered Whole Foods stock, and that was a company that I was really inspired by because, you know, so much of their platform is like using business to further impact, and mm-hmm. I was really inspired by that, you know, entire like very mission based company, and so that was like a big reason where you know a a, a big kind of propeller into. Well, I also kind of doubled down on like, I want to start my own business one day. Mm-hmm. too. So yeah, so I kind of did that for four
0: years. And then I ultimately started to go. Right. And taking it back to kind of the beginning days, like you, you mentioned, you know, you grew up seeing your mom in that small business, um, mm-hmm. entrepreneurships role. And did you kind of know from a young age, like I want to kind of also be an entrepreneur? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, um,
1: I don't even know why, but I was really like, that was just my thing. Like I always knew that I was going to, I was very exposed to business, you know, between both my parents. I think both my parents are, you know, um, really excellent business people in different, completely different fields and totally made it on their own. And um, so, you know, me and my siblings were all exposed to business and work and hard work and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of making it for yourself, like a really, really early age. And so that definitely made me want to become a business person. Um, You know, I I think I was like five years old when I would tell people that.
0: Right. No, I love hearing that because I I definitely grew up with like a a similar perspective. And it's interesting how like, you know, I never knew exactly what I wanted to do but I knew it was going to be something that I kind of, like, create on my own. Yeah, um, exactly. But, like, I never really knew, okay, like, what is that going to be? You kind of just, like, I think, I don't want to say fall into it, but you kind of, like, just build the path along that that way. And what you mentioned with school, too, like, I, you know, taking business right now, like, I can see I, the things I learn in school and the things I learn, like, you know, on my own is completely different. Like, it goes from, like, textbook theory to, like, actual real life yeah application so it's it's so different than actually like doing business like in the real world i think obviously totally. you need the theory and like all the accounting and financing it's definitely important to know and understand but it's uh it's a whole different world i do want to ask you cuz you mentioned you know how after 4 years of working kind of more of like a corporate job let's say um did you kind of know like during that time was it there kind of like a timeline for you like okay i'm going to work this job or let's say four years, like you mentioned, and then I'm going to start my own business, or was it more kind of an overnight it, thing? It wasn't, you know, it was, it's it's
1: kind of, it's been so long that mm-hmm. it's kind of like I have to go back to like what my dream <laughs> was. Um, right. You know, I was, I was, it was 2013 is when I quit my job in at JP Morgan, August. August. And so, you know, over 10 years ago now. And I think for me, it was the idea that. I knew that I was going to start a business. Okay. And, um, and I almost was so naive, that I felt confident enough that that was the right time. Mm. And people who know me, like, I am a quick decision maker. I am somebody who I, I wouldn't say necessarily, like, um, well, it's definitely a, a defining characteristic that like, I am somebody who like, walks the talk, like, I, if I say that I'm going to do something like and going to do something. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think that it just became this thought in my head. And I was really kind of naively confident. I kind of had this whole like growing up of like years and years of thinking I'm going to do something. and be like, yeah, this is it. And I didn't even like, to your point, like it was a little overnight, because I didn't even really think too much about it. Um, And thankfully, you know, I also, um, I had really supportive parents who were like, just very emotionally, like, yeah, like, you know, they didn't even really understand what I was doing, honestly, but they were just mm-hmm. like, they now they tell me, like, they knew that I was going to figure it out, you know, so they were very supportive of me quitting my job generally, which like, you know, quitting a six figure job. Yeah, when you're like 24, you know, because I graduated when I was 20. And and so it's really young, right, or 24, 25, And um, it's a, kind of a big deal. And like a lot of like, you know, not to stereotype, but a lot of traditional Asian families would be like, that's crazy you know I think I'm really lucky because I had very entrepreneurial parents Mm -hmm. who like totally got it and they believed in me um some even if they questioned me especially when I was sitting at home as like a 25 year old in Michigan in their home and like watching Bravo TV at Friday night and like on my laptop they were like what is she doing (laughs) Um, she went from being like so independent to like now being at home like right um, you know and uh, there was there was a period there where they questioned it a little bit but um but but they were always very supportive and I was really lucky to have that
0: that's so amazing to hear and like you said I think there is you know a lot of like pressure on that I know even for myself now people ask me okay so are you gonna get a like engineering job like after you graduate and I I did like an engineering internship I kind of got a taste of like that world but I really I just think I want to like get my degree and then kind of keep moving forward with what I've built up on my own and you know, if all this fails, I can always, like, go back and, and get yeah. a traditional job, but might as well give it a shot, and every time I mention that, people do kind of, like, look at me, kind of, they just, like, don't understand it. I would say by now, my parents, they understand what I, what I do completely in this influencing yeah. world, and all of that but uh, it definitely took time I remember like the first time a brand wanted to send me a PR they were like this is a scam there's no way this right. is real right, but right, right now they they get it so that's that's so amazing to hear that your parents were were supportive in that but how did you feel during that time like was there any fear I, I know you mentioned kind of that feeling of like being a little bit naive jumping fully into into this world but was there any fear in the back of your mind like what if this doesn't work you know Not really. Again, I was so naive and so like, uh,
1: hungry and um, ambitious. And Mm -hmm. I I believed in myself. Um, So I knew that if one thing didn't work, then another thing would and, Mm -hmm. you know, that I, I would land on my feet, I think. um, Yeah, I think I had enough like examples, even though they were smaller examples, for sure. But I had enough examples in my life of like things that I had overcome or things that, you know, I kind of not landed the way that I thought it was going to land. And it still landed on my feet at the end of the day. And um, so I, I, I don't know, I, I always kind of believed in
0: myself. That That's good to hear. And do you think that's kind of a characteristic that, you know, the majority of entrepreneurs should have to be able to kind of be successful in that in that path? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think,
1: it's funny because I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, I mean, you know, at least speaking for myself, I, I definitely have a lot of belief in myself and there's an optimism that you can't really like, there's a special like founder optimism that so is, you know, it's necessary to do the job at the same time. You know, I'm like also a very critical person too. Mm -hmm. Um, And in some ways can be like pessimistic in some ways. And it's, it's kind of about balancing those of not pessimistic. Like I don't not believe in myself, but you're always kind of expecting the worst and you're preparing for the worst. You're a little bit paranoid all the time. And, you know, I also am like a really critical person generally. Um, And so, you know, if something is, you know, that I'm seeing that, that I could have done better or whatever it is, like, I'm definitely like really in tune with that. So you kind of have to like quiet some voices and you have to amplify some others, you know, and it is a little bit of a battle in your head of like, you know, kind of how do you stay positive while dealing with so much because you really you know, it's not a, it's not an easy journey and you are constantly dealing with problems. It's, it's just not normal, you know, and you have a lot of responsibility. And so I think, I think the, the optimism and the the positivity, the self-belief is like, is absolutely, you know, necessary because there's
0: so many other emotions that will constantly tug away at you. Definitely. And at the start of Cocoa Kind, did you, kind of go fully at first into it like you quit your job and then you started working on the brand or was there a bit of overlap there where then you decided to go full-time with with working on your Mm -hmm. business or how did that look like
1: yeah so um interestingly so when I left JP Morgan I actually started this distribution business of U.S. organic goods to Hong Kong so Mm -hmm. it was like organic like vitamins and children's vitamins and uh, snacks and you know, from these like independent companies that, you know, were, then I would literally put on a pallet myself because, um, you know, going back to, I covered whole food stock. So I would go to these like industry trade shows and I would meet a bunch of these like really cool companies that were brand new. And today they're huge. Um, they're all these like amazing companies that we know today that were like changing the food movement, using really amazing ingredients and, um, you know, and, and healthier ingredients. And, um, that market was still very new in Asia and Hong Kong but there was a demand for it but the thing is a lot of these small companies they wouldn't like ship directly to Hong Kong mm-hmm. they would you know it's just like they, they didn't know how to do that but if they talked to me when I was going to the trade shows they would happily sell me and I wouldn't buy that much I would sell you know I would buy maybe 200 units or 300 units or something and then what I would do is I would just pack that up and consolidate it and ship it to these relationships in Hong Kong that I literally made going door to door. So after JP Morgan, I spent a month in Hong Kong. And I literally got like this, this like importer list of like Hong Kong natural and organic stores that are like carrying, trying to, you know, carry these like, um you know, imported goods. And so I literally went door to door. And I ultimately found, you know, not a lot, but I had like five to 10 customers there that had a bunch of stores on the island. And I basically um, ended up, you know, just just uh, being able to consolidate these like U.S. goods to right. Hong Kong. And I, I would like palletize it myself. I had a mini warehouse and that helped me with my basic like day to day expenses. Um, and I did that while I started Cocoa Pine. And right. that was kind of like what held me over in terms of like just having dollars to live on and all that stuff. And so I, I actually did that for even even after launching Coco Pine, I still did that for like a year. Um, okay. and but I ultimately, you know, sunseted that business. But um I kind of had that business to carry mm-hmm. on um while I was building the brand and, and the products.
0: Wow, that that's cool to hear um kind of that, that journey. And I really want to ask you about, you know, how you mentioned you were twenty five, like sitting at your parents' house. So during that time, like were you kind of on your own when you were working? JP Morgan then did you move back in Mm -hmm. with your parents okay because I want to ask about that yeah yeah
1: so I lived in New York and I quit my job and then I went to Hong Kong Mm -hmm. for a month and then after that I spent like three months three four months in um my parents house you know growing up in Michigan and um I would like work at my mom's office like on my own thing but I would just set up shop there and I would go with her to work every day um and yeah I was like also I was like single at the time and like my mom was like oh my god like <laughs> what is she doing She's in <laughs> Michigan she was like living so independently had right this, like, you know fun social life in New York and working a lot and but you know having a social life having so many of her college friends and like I moved back home to Michigan I didn't have any of that and so mm-hmm. you know I was kind of like on my own like very isolated land with my parents and I had a, I had a great time with them like I still remember going to Japan with them that winter um uh, for Christmas and like it was joking, like, it's the three of us. And like they were just like, like I hope you get married one day. Yeah. <laughs> they, were like, they were like, is she gonna like, you know, like have a social life? Right. Um, but then I ultimately left Michigan because my mom was like, Hey, maybe you should like go stay with your sister. Um, because she lives in San Francisco, and that she's like, There's more young people in San Francisco. Right. My mom was like, Maybe you should go like crash on your sister's couch. So I then moved to my sister's couch for a couple months in San Francisco and then I ultimately like rented my own place in San Francisco but yeah so I had like almost like nine months ish mm-hmm. of like this like transition period whether it was
0: on my parents cat parents my old bedroom growing a bedroom or my sister's couch <laughs> right. and I wanted to kind of you know bring that up a bit more once you mentioned that because I feel like a lot of people In their twenties, feel like I don't know some sort of weird way, and they feel like they're taking steps back if they're like going back to their parents or going back to their hometown. And that's why I wanted to ask you about that because I think a lot of people feel like that. That judgment, there's really like no reason to feel that way. You know, there's Mm -hmm. circumstances where that's just the best option to have. And um, I think it's great that you're very open and talking about that. And I think to anyone listening, that that's gonna be. A great like inspiring thing to hear that it's okay to do that and like you know totally. your life isn't over in those no in and those it, I
1: remember it was weird for me to like during that time period of especially when I was in Michigan not so much when I was in San Francisco but people were definitely like you know my friends and everything they were just like surprised that I was like in Michigan um mm-hmm. but again I didn't really care you know like right. I was like, I knew that I was on path I knew it was a stepping stone I knew I had shit to do you know and yep. I was like I wasn't gonna waste money while doing that and so like that's the thing about me too it's like I'm always like I'm always very authentic to myself and like once I like I I I don't know I, I feel pretty secure in those decisions even if it feels contrarian or a little bit weird or mm-hmm. a little bit like off and sometimes you just do ha- you have to do what you got to do and you have to be like you know shameless about it because yep. you know ultimately it, it is a stepping stone and um there's absolutely nothing embarrassing about saving money <laughs>
0: oh, absolutely and I, I love that you're transparent about that and the fact that you all said like you just knew your path and you didn't really care about others what others had to say and I I totally agree with that I was moved out last year like throughout all my internship and I just moved back home because it's easier while I'm in school it's easier yeah filming content and I'm like Absolutely. might as well save some money so totally. it's there's no no shame in it but just for anyone listening that's a good reminder that there's no shame in that at all. So the next thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, obviously you already touched on saying like you really were in that mindset, like where you didn't care about whether, you know, what other people thought and you were on this path. And what's any advice you can give to someone who maybe is kind of wanting to take that leap of like a goal they have set out, but they're scared of like what other people have to say, especially in those beginning days when obviously you're having to put in a lot of work and you're not necessarily seeing like the huge return. And, it can be stressful sometimes where everyone's friends and family's eyes are kind of on you and they're like, so how's the business going or whatever? Like Mm -hmm. what's your advice to anyone kind of going through that or like kind of fearing going through that if they haven't started yet?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's just to, you know, again, believe in yourself and to, you know, kind of dream really big um, because like those in the beginning no one is going to give you like affirmation, right? Like it's just, it's really important to understand, like being a founder, starting anything new or doing anything yourself, building anything is not like the job that you do if you're looking for affirmation. Mm -hmm. Like it's really a hard thing to do. It's a very lonely thing to do no matter what. And so you have to be that person to like dream big and to like have this like dream be your constant source of energy and confidence. And you know, ability to storytell and communicate. And that's where you yourself have to be the number one, like believer and salesperson of this dream. So maybe you haven't started anything yet. And you're like, instead of being like, oh, I'm like, I'm not launched yet. Like I'm, you know, it's coming soon. You could be like, I'm building this amazing product. I'm really excited for it to be coming out next year. Like, You know what I mean? Like there, it's just a it's just a, a difference in tone and energy that you put forth, where it can really be like a positive thing, and you can come into it with confidence, not like this your own kind of skepticism or your own, uh, you know, kind of like insecurities. Which I know that like that's a hundred percent there, but you know when you communicate it. For yourself mostly you want to communicate it a lot with like confidence
0: right that kind of change in mindset of how how you frame it i think that's so important definitely what would you say are like the top traits that would differentiate you know a founder because obviously not everyone in the world is made for like entrepreneurship or like being a founder or else <laughs> like obviously no company would ever work that mm-hmm. way um so what are like the top traits that you would say would differentiate someone from being a founder versus you know, maybe working out better in a more traditional job? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know,
1: these days, like just the idea of like, founders are so, you know, unique, and everybody has their own story, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it really, everybody has their own story, their own journey, their own motivations. Um, So it's it's a little bit hard to say overall. And I think, you know, to be honest, I think there's like a, there's a little bit of like a founder on pedestal situation you know that's going on that is a little bit hard because founders like everybody else have insecurities have weaknesses have issues personal issues professional issues like there's a lot of things that you know and and by the way like you can be just as successful quote unquote, you know, as a founder or not as a founder, you know, contributing to the workforce. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I do want to like qualify that because I, I think that truly people don't really get it when, when it's out there and said that like, it's truly not for everyone and it right. shouldn't, it shouldn't be, it doesn't yeah. have to be. And there's so many ways to be successful. Right. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I do think that like, a, at least from what I've seen, one of the defining characteristics are um, people who are biased for action. You know, it's like it's anybody can talk about an idea. Anybody can say an idea, um, but it's the people who actually do it that make a Mm -hmm. difference. And you don't even I think that like a lot of times people with the most innovative ideas fail because they don't know how to act. And people with the least innovative ideas succeed because they know how to act, you know, and it's like the action succeeds all, you know. Um, so that kind of, that kind of, to me is like what I've seen time and time again from people that I've known, you know, that have, that have amazing
0: businesses. Wow. That's some amazing advice right there. And to anyone who maybe isn't like as comfortable taking that like full leap of faith, like quitting their job or whatever, and they have all these ideas, what would you recommend that, that case? Cause I always tell like, my friends and stuff who have all these ideas I'm like well just start working on it now it doesn't matter if like you're in school Mm -hmm. or at least just start somewhere right so yeah I get your perspective on that as well
1: yeah I mean I think you know it's kind of the advice people when people are like hey I want to start something I don't know where to start it's like I didn't know where to start either you start somewhere and you just do one small thing at a time and Mm -hmm. I think that's people like there is no playbook right nobody's going to tell you You know, no. It doesn't matter how deep your network is, how many people you know, how many mentors you may may or may not have. Like, no one is going to be there every step of the way, guiding you every hour of the day. And so you, that's a big part of like when I remember when I was just started cocaine. You know, like your inbox is like zero. Like, there's nobody emailing you. You know, like it's (laughs) today I have like tons of email every day. I'm like, oh my god, I have to like get to my inbox and like you know reply to people or figure this out or do that none of that is happening in the beginning you're right. on own and nobody is asking anything of you and that's a really scary thing right and so you kind of have to figure out how do i put one foot in front of the other and i think where people get the most tripped up is it becomes this overwhelming thing like i have to start no it's like okay well you have to start with you know what today i'm gonna just research what colors i love for mm-hmm. my brand I'm going to research what ingredients I want to use. Like, I want to research what steps of products I want to launch with. Like, you know, it's like, just like, one thing at a time, you know, these are small things that are really exciting. And that's how I basically started was like, I I started with like one step at a time. And every single day was like, so exciting. I like love what I was doing. I love when I was learning. And I love like, oh wow like it happened like I got you know this I don't know what formula together or this or that like it's it was really exciting to see it all come together and so that like was very much like energy for me so I think my biggest advice is like sm- one small step at a time can create like really big dreams and so um you know just try not to get overwhelmed by like thinking of these big steps
0: that you yeah take. I think also into that like yeah for sure just taking those small steps every day because I know I mean I wouldn't say I like fell into this whole like business of content creating but I started off just as like a passion project when I was like 13 on YouTube and now it's just become like my full-time job yeah. but wow. last year like back in September um, I launched my own skincare brand it's mainly targeted towards men with my business partner and I remember when we started like working on like just from the very get-go of like the starting idea to now and every day we'd meet and then it'd be like hey what do we want to do today and it's like we had so many things to do and sometimes you're right like it would get so overwhelming cuz it's like we have so much to do until we like could launch that was our goal at that point but we just had to like work on one thing um at a time and i remember when we launched you know i did have a bit of that insecurity like what if this fails what if blah blah or like that comparison to to like other brands and everything and i remember he said to me he's like you know what Lavinia? like we we've started you know like we launched Mm -hmm. and that's like the first step like from here on out like it's gonna obviously take work And I'm like yes you're right like it's gonna take a lot of work but it's just really about about starting and with that I want to ask too like how did you kind of navigate um and if if you had this experience at all like the whole comparison game of especially with like social media I think and kind of Mm -hmm. glorifying entrepreneurship in some ways Um, did you at times like compare yourself to bigger brands or other um, founders at all in that process
1: yeah totally I mean I I did and I do now you know like it's it's still a thing and I think it's it's a natural like you know human characteristic it's unrealistic like I'm not gonna like you know feel jealous from time to time I think what I through the years because I've seen many companies come and go I've seen many companies come and succeed further you know quote unquote Um, and you know I think one of the things I kind of realized through time because again I have the luxury of having been doing this for a while um, and just matured through this process very much um I kind of realized that like you can't everybody's like journey of like happiness is so different mm-hmm. you know and w- you can't tell everything first of all it's you know always what they say it's half the story online right, right. like it's, there's so much more that is untold and there's struggles that are untold we all know that that everybody has struggles that aren't shown um but sometimes it's hard to recognize
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but not only that I realized that like you know my purpose and my like idea of happiness is really different than what somebody else is. And so, you know, right now, like this particular journey that I'm on, like I'm really happy with, you know, and I don't I I I don't know, you know, if that's something that like I can compare to other people at all, you know, and their happiness level. And um, I'm also like working for something different. So and I I think everybody has a different goal. So, you know, again, it's like I try to remember there's a lot that you don't see and also my particular goal and my particular like pursuit of happiness is really unique too.
0: Absolutely. And just kind of recognizing like everyone's on a different journey. And like you said, like what makes one person happy might not make the next happy. Yeah. So that's an amazing perspective. With that, I want to ask too, like I think this could be helpful for anyone listening as well. What are some of the things that you think social media kind of glorifies about entrepreneurship and what are more things that you wish people did know maybe before either going into it themselves or making a judgment on entrepreneurship what's Mm -hmm. kind of your perspective there
1: yeah i mean i think entrepreneurship is like it's what people expect it's like it's it's really really hard um i think what's shown on social media a lot of times is you know a, a a glorified version so it's you know a founder that is you know has stood together in all the ways of life and that is out there on panels uh you know marketing products like running in front of a target sign saying my products are here now (laughs) yeah and you know all that stuff which is all those are all amazing truly like amazing parts of the journey Mm -hmm. what aren't parts of the journey are so many the majority of your days right like the majority, not only of the days, but the hours in the day are not those times. And you're dealing with problems, you're dealing with challenges, you're dealing with rejections, and you're dealing with a lot of anxiety, you're dealing with a lot of can't shut it off at night, I I always say, like, I work when I sleep. And that's not like, I'm not even like making that up. Like I will literally dream about work, about like real work things. And I'll be like, oh, okay, like I, so then I wake up being like, okay, yeah, I have to do this and this and this. Like I legitimately like have those dreams where I, I'm working mm-hmm. Um, or I wake up in the middle of the night and I have, I'm thinking about an issue, you know? And, um, and like that, that happens most days, not, not some days, most days. And so like, it's really a decision that you're making mm-hmm. to have like, to have a successful business
0: yeah
1: the more successful you are the more stuff you're dealing with you know and and more of an investment it is for your whole life like it's an investment for my partner my husband to be making that I have this business you know it's an investment for my kids to be making that their mom works so much like you know it's it's an investment that we as a family are making um but also one that we're making for my happiness because it makes me happy too right and so but it is something that like it, it has it comes with a lot of costs and I don't yeah. think that that is you know often showed and of course there's a lot of people who do not have you know it does not end up going the right way and that yeah. you know it that also is like really painful it's really really painful um you know when things don't go the right way either so there's just a lot I think psychologically that you have to deal with um yeah
0: what about like managing kind of expectations because if people do go online they see like like you mentioned those great moments of you know the founder standing in front of their um line at a shop or whatever Mm -hmm. right and people might build up those expectations or kind of think that it'll be like an overnight success like Mm -hmm. what's your advice to kind of manage those expectations and like you said like you've been working on this for nine years I think you mentioned Mm -hmm. right so what can you say to any young entrepreneurs that kind of feel discouraged when they're not seeing like that instant gratification come
1: yeah I think again it's you know and I give this advice all the time, like, you should expect rejection, like, that's yeah. just, that's the status quo, yeah. like, you know, a couple of people actually over the past, like, couple of months, like, separately, you know, have given me this, um, you know, via DMs and stuff, and I try to get back to, to people, um, but, you know, just kind of, like, I've been facing a lot of rejections, like, what advice would you give me? And my advice is like, that's the status quo, you know, like that is what you should expect. And you're going to get a lot of silences or you're going to get a lot of no's, explicit no's. And like, if you're not expecting that and you're not okay with that, like it might, like, honestly, the harsh me would be like, this isn't for you. Right. Mm -hmm. You have to be okay with that. You have to be resilient because there's going to be a thousand times that pressure and that negativity one day when you are successful, mm-hmm. but the like there is a lot of stuff that you're constantly dealing with. I can't stress that enough. The problems exist out of everywhere. It, it's you know, it's just you're just dealing with a living, breathing business. You know, it, there's always going to be things that that happen, and so you know, it's it's a, that that idea of like getting back up and falling and getting back up and falling, getting back up. To me after doing this for so many years, it gives me a lot of energy. So when I'm dealing with something and I'm falling off, like I get energy being like, this is making me stronger. Right. And I know that because I know that the next time this happens to me, it's either not going to happen to me again, because I'm going to know how to avoid it, or I'm going to deal with it so much more, um, you know, uh, impactfully and and with, with more strength than I did this time. And so that's kind of what I remember. I, I feel like building a business in a lot of ways is like you have to be an athlete. You know, like sometimes sometimes like and I say this to my team too, it's like different teams sometimes are in the different spotlight, right? And where we're all on the same team, but like you're you're kind of in different spotlights mm-hmm. you're also having to build resilience you're also having to train you have to practice you have to you know sometimes you win sometimes you lose and that's all part of the sport you know and I,
0: I do think the resilience is and the endurance is like half the battle I love your perspective on that and I just the other day I saw I mean it's like one of those like kind of cheesy inspirational quote things but um, it said like no stands for next opportunity and I, I love that type of perspective yeah, you have because totally. like you have to be willing to to take it and I think even when people ask me like and they want to get into content content creation they're like okay well how do you you know like handle the hate comments I'm like you have to be ready for it like you just you're gonna get 50% bad comments 50% some videos might be like all mm-hmm. hate comments like it's just mm-hmm. the way it goes and it's just part of part of the industry yeah. so yeah I think yeah. you have an amazing um perspective on that kind of switching gears to going back to Coco and how that all started, um, did you know that you wanted to get into the beauty space or did that kind of like, where did that idea evolve for you? Yeah, it, it, you
1: know, it was totally not in my ambition, you know, as a girl growing up, I, um, you know, had really bad skin. I just dealt with a lot of acne mm-hmm. and, or like bad skin, right? Like I had a lot of acne. Yep. Uh, I had cystic acne. I had it on my face, my chest, my back, like, it was like a big thing like you know to prom i it had to like cover up my back or i had to wear high back shirts in the summer like i was really insecure about my skin i would avoid going to like daytime parties in college because i just like felt like you know it would just like my skin was like too much in the sunlight and spotlight and it would get red and blotchy and you know i was really 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 insecure about it so like having a beauty company is literally the last thing on earth that I thought that I would have a business
0: okay. doing.
1: Um, and, you know, when I think about my parents, when I talk about my parents, like questioning it, like they never questioned me as a business person or like an entrepreneur, but they definitely had questions for me when I said that I was starting a skincare company because oh, okay. I, knew, I didn't have perfect skin. I had, I still had really like yeah. break prone skin and I was dealing with still cystic acne when I started coca and um and so they were just like but why like you you know like yeah. insecurity so you know definitely not i think though my issues with my skin and my skincare and all that i dealt with there led me to this like deep exploration of, of products and ingredients and skin barrier and hydration and you know just like my skin had become so sensitized that like i would put on lotion in the dark because it would sting so badly my eyes would water And my, my my skin would become bright red. And then I would take, you know, so much foundation and I would just cover it all up with a brush. And then I would, wouldn't be comfortable leaving the door, not even to like literally get food delivery in the lobby of my building in New York without doing that. Um, It was such a horrible process for me that I just like had learned so much and I had spent so much money and all that kind of led me to being like secretly really passionate about skincare. But I never told people, because again you know, you see someone who has like acne all over, and they tell you they're passionate about skincare, like, you know, you're just like asking for people to stare at your skin. And that would make me feel so uncomfortable. So honestly, a lot of the reason why, when I quit JP Morgan, and I told like, I told people that I was starting a distribution business for natural and organic food, I didn't even feel comfortable telling people And this is kind of going back to my learning of like, My advice for people, right? Like I didn't feel comfortable, but I would say that was more from a skin perspective, my like big insecurity with my skin of telling people that I was starting a skincare business. And I ultimately convinced myself that I was going to do this by saying that I was going to be like super behind the scenes. And I never had to be in front of a camera like this. And so, you know, that that's kind of like, I just, all my issues with skin and skincare led to, you know, me really feeling like I could build a skincare product and company differently. And, you know, at a, at a really like nice price point that wasn't going to like break the bank mm. and sold in accessible retailers with really good ingredient, ingredient first, you know, kind of philosophy, investing in the formula not on crazy packaging so that, you know, people who really had skin problems like I did, like knew that they were getting something that they, they were paying for, not something else. And so ultimately, like that kind of led me to start cocoa Kind and decide to do it, even if I was like, kind of like
0: incognito for a little bit right thank you for opening up about all of that I I really appreciate you sharing your story and I I definitely relate to a lot of it because as someone who like struggles with hormonal acne and I'm like in the midst of my whole journey um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't take away from the fact of what I know about skin like being chemical engineering I've worked in R&D for skincare like I I think I understand skincare really well Mm -hmm. unfortunately I'm just like going through a lot of change with my hormone imbalance and everything which is obviously react like making my skin react and I have felt like kind of what you mentioned there that like judgment when I do mention to people one that I like you know am like a beauty creator and then two now that I've just launched a skincare brand sometimes like for people who don't know me personally or don't follow my content they do look at me a bit worse they're like yeah why would I kind of take advice from you but I think yeah those of us who have struggled with our skin kind of know it best because they're you know like we're very careful about what we apply because there's so much sensitivity and anything can kind of cause like additional breakouts and stuff so um no that's it's great to hear that not that you struggled with that but like that you kind of overcame that and yeah to to build something differently i do want to ask just out of curiosity um what was the inspiration behind the name coco kind
1: It's like super random, but one um somebody had told me that brands that start with C are more so likely to be successful. Like (laughs) definitely I don't remember who told me that. It definitely was not anybody of like experience or something. It was probably like some super random thing I heard. And I didn't know. So I was like, sure. And then I really like the word kind. And so then I was kind of like, okay, like I just was like alliteration sounds great and it was like coco and that was basically how it started
0: <laughs> that's cool I like it I mean like it's a cute name I think it's it's definitely fitting um for the brand I guess like with you know obviously the beauty industry it's a very saturated place so was there any fear for you like entering that market or again did that kind of play back into that um naive kind of you know, look that you had on things when, when you entered the space?
1: Yeah, I think it was naive. Also, when I started, it was 20, you know, 15, like, so actually it wasn't, it was, you know, wasn't nearly as saturated as it today, like right. just so much in eight, nine years, you know? So, so, um, so yeah, like there was more space then. Um, today, I do think it's hard for people to like, you know, unless you're coming with a specific Angle that's different or unsaturated in some for some reason. Mm-hmm. I do think it's hard, you know, just to start a skincare brand today. And I'm really open about the fact that if I started today, I don't think I would have been successful. Like I, I think timing is important,
0: right?
1: Um, and it is an an environment
0: today that is really daunting, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. No, that yeah, <laughs> you're definitely definitely right. Um, I I know a lot of people kind of talk about that now and I mean since you did start in 2015 did you have to kind of go through like transitions with like taking on social media and learning that aspect of things with your branding as well mm-hmm. yeah totally I mean when I started
1: Instagram was like brand new I barely had my own personal Instagram
0: right
1: um and my personal Instagram you know it was like at that age where it was like oh you get like 10 likes per photo yeah. like like it, like literally you're like 10 friends um yeah. 'Cause some of your friends aren't on it yet. You know, like it was right. like that. And so, um, and yeah, like it was also at the age where people were really using hashtags. Um, so I would like go and hashtag like skincare or, or like go and like see the hashtag skincare and I would like like thousands of posts. And just hoping that people would follow based on seeing me like their post or comment or you know it was like back in the day like that right like right. early on like that and um, it wasn't even until 2017 where stories existed so stories didn't even exist mm-hmm. um, so two years into it um, stories existed and that's actually when I finally started to be in front of the camera it wasn't because I wanted to it's because like oh well there's a stories thing and like I have to do it you know mm-hmm. so like no one else is going to do it and I don't have anybody else to do it so I basically started doing it and I would show people what happened like if I had a breakout which I would still have many breakouts I would show people how I was caring for it and it was because of stories that I became so much more comfortable not wearing makeup because I would do that and you know initially I'm like okay well I have like you know I I had followers at that point maybe like 20,000 followers or something on the account and it wasn't a little, but it was like, okay, well, stories is only going to reach like, you know, a couple thousand people. So it's not that big of a deal. So I like, and it like goes away. So I do it, do these tutorials. I'm like, I would literally get like, like more DMs than we get back today in our stories. Like I would get hundred, a hundred DMs back of like, oh, thank you for showing me how to use this product. Thank you for showing your real skin. Like I'm dealing with this breakout too. Or like, haha, that was so funny. Like, you know, cause I would just be myself. And like, I wasn't intending to be in front of the camera, but people gave me so much affirmation as I'm sure you get too, right. It's like all the people who judge you and then it just takes like the one or two or the mm-hmm. hundred people who comment on your post being like, thank you so much for showing you real skin. Yeah. That's why you keep doing it. You know, that's why, you know, it should exist. And, and so like I became so much more comfortable through doing that. And then I would like literally within a year, I was like going on stories and all this stuff, like with no makeup, none mm-hmm. whatever. you know, like, And, and, um, that was never something that like, again, I would put on makeup just to get food delivery, right (laughs) like to open the door. Like I would, couldn't imagine like doing that online. And, and, um, so I really credit social media and the business for like helping me become really confident, not really, but like confident in my skin, even when I, you know, didn't feel like it was the best. And so, yeah, I absolutely had to grow with social media.
0: That, that's great to hear and I think especially like you know even 2017 there weren't really any like skin positivity you know people posting things like now like as you said like people always comment on my stuff saying like I never see this but I think yeah. now there are more people who do what I do but back then like I don't think anyone yeah. was really doing anything like that so that's amazing that you kind of grew into that and that it helped also build your confidence more um, as well and that's that's one of the best parts, I think, about social media and, you know, one of those great aspects that it can bring is just making that community build really strong and then which can also help with everyone's confidence. Because I'm sure as you were boosting up your own confidence, whoever was watching the video is also getting yeah. that boost of confidence from that as well. So exactly. that's, that's super cool. Yeah, I guess moving on to the next thing that I want to touch on before we end here. And obviously, you know, the theme of this podcast is breaking down those walls of beauty standards, what are some of your goals, I think, with CocoKind that you have already done and then you want to keep moving forward with to bring your message out and be different from the rest of the beauty industry?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a core, like, defining reason for existence for CocoKind is the idea of, like, meeting people where they are and making people feel enough. You know, like that is like, I think it's tough in the beauty industry because you're constantly comparing, you're seeing images, you're seeing other people, you know, the biggest creators in the space today, you know, there's we're still selling an image, you know, we're still selling, it's still the thing that sells the most, right. Is like the idea of like, get this to feel that. Yeah. And I think that's what I've always really struggled with, you know, and I've always really felt like an outsider on, because like, I was so tired of that and like, don't want to participate in that. And that's why we do keep a little bit of like our, our identity as like beauty industry outsiders, because we don't feel that way, you know, and we don't want to contribute to that. And Um, so you know it's small things of like just you know not using a filter or and you know having people commit to not using filters like I think that's so huge and so understated like the impact that filters have on everybody's like sense of reality when it comes to skin you know it's absolutely it's it's really crazy and I know it's like harmless it seems harmless but it is like actually not harmless you know (laughs) especially for the girl who is 15 and dealing with a lot of acne, growing up in Michigan and Mm -hmm. feeling like I couldn't, you know, go to prom because of that. Right. Like, so, you know, I think that that's kind of like one of the biggest things of just like, we want to be a brand that like is, really always approaching our customers and our community with a lot of warmth and acceptance um and making them feel like enough you know mm-hmm. at the end of the day and um and and that I think is like a core part of like why we exist i think you know secondarily i think in beauty there's people can pay for whatever they want you know sometimes people want to pay for the brand and the celebrity marketing people want to pay for the packaging and i think there is room for brands that exist because of like ingredients and formula Mm -hmm. that's where you know i feel like for us like we still offer like a superior formula at the price point that we're at at the channels that we're at you know um and that i think is like still gonna like allow us to have so much of the community that we've built because we people try the products and they really do get the results like it's not a fluff yeah product so um, so yeah, so like in that way, I think it's like, you know, important to, to kind of like people, again, people can choose to pay whatever they want, like for cocoa kind, like it is going to be about like the, the formula and the ingredients.
0: I love that. I love that whole, whole message. And you know, I was really excited to talk to you today, but with everything you said, I, like this episode makes me even more excited because I I really value all of your viewpoints and especially even with the filters I've done like a full episode just on like how filters can really Mm -hmm. mess with your confidence yeah you don't even think about it you know like no it does seem so harmless right like oh I threw on a fun little filter especially like when they started out right like on like snapchat stuff it was like the dog filter like they were just like fun harmless filters but it's evolved into something where it makes people feel like they cannot show up without them or it further so instills that comparison game because you don't even know when someone is wearing a filter at this point yeah it. so it's, I mean
1: you've you've been in this scenario before I'm sure where you have met someone in real life and you were like oh they have like a normal feeling yeah. just like I do or yeah. they have a normal like mm-hmm. just like I do and you would have never known and yeah. I'm like honestly it feels bad, but they're relieving to me. Cause I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, I don't, I'm not just like, I'm yeah. my own. like yeah. you know, like, but I feel bad saying that. Like I'm relieved that she has wrinkles, but it's like, you know, it's, you don't see that online. No. You really don't. And it's like, that is to me, it's like the only person impacts is you when you're looking at yourself, you know, in your mirror and the, the self-talk that you have. And, and that is, you know, I just know from the example, right. Of like being that little girl or that, that you know young woman in my formative years like how much it hurt me psychologically and you know I think that's like it's just a it's a hard place that social media is contributing to
0: Mm -hmm, definitely but I love what you're doing with coco kind I think you know everyone probably feels that like or of just like a safe space to kind of come to and use products and there is that like pressure like you mentioned as well especially when you're dealing with acne to like always just there's there's this pressure to like heal it and get rid of your acne like as fast as possible not yeah. only from yourself but like also from the outside and when you're buying products and you have this like hope that this will just be the miracle product I think that just leads into like such a toxic cycle oh, totally so totally. you just being transparent of like this is the product this is the ingredient base like you know and and all of that like I, I love that and I think overall it's definitely a huge benefit to the beauty industry and more brands we need that from much more brands to kind of show that and like you said like there's brands for different reasons ones that you know are celebrity endorsed or you know are really like a a lifestyle type brand where people are buying that that brand for the brand or in this case right like more of the the community aspect and and really the message that you have um with it so that that's great to um here and I guess the last thing I want to ask you which I ask all guests on this podcast is what is something that you love about your skin today
1: hmm. that's a really I love that question um and I've heard you ask that before which is so nice um I think I'm really like I I have this like hilarious thing on my, my smooth forehead club like because of my retinol that we we have a retinol in the line and um And like, it's just something that like, I feel like my forehead has like a nice, smooth glow to it these days that it didn't have before. And I'm really happy about my, my smooth forehead.
0: I love that. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you, Priscilla, so much for coming on Loud Talk with Lavi. It was so great talking to you and getting to know you. And I'm sure anyone listening can say the same. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Well, to anyone listening, thank you for getting loud with us. You can check out new episodes every single Sunday at 7 a.m. MST on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and all streaming platforms. Um, I love you guys all so, so much. And you'll hear from me in the next episode of Loud Talk flabby Bye, everyone. Bye.